to another edition of Into the Foxhole. I'm Will Fox here, joined as always by my brother John. John, how are we? Peachy today, Will. Peachy. Peachy asked, how are we, though? We're doing all right. We're doing all right. Not peachy, but we're doing fine. We're doing fine. You know, episode number three of the podcast, we are joined by the honorary B. Monroe Hennessy, William Hennessy. Happy to have you on the podcast. How are you doing? Well, it's always good to get more friends and pals on the show. John, I'm starting to wonder about your friends. We kind of designed this as a as a podcast experiment in being with our friends and talking about, you know, the things that we enjoy. Uh, I don't want to call into question your friendships, but uh, where are your friends on the pod? My lack of a social scene is really, really, really showing right now, you know, but uh, I, I have to pay for my friends. So, you know, we'll see if I have to throw a little extra for them. You know? <laughs> this is true. What is the podcasting fee uh, for yeah, fraternities? Exactly. We don't know. We'll find out. Friends or no friends, we have one here in Billy Hennessy. And Bill, what are we going to be talking about on the podcast today? Well, let me just start by saying my rate is on a core team discount. So <laughs> 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 the usual regular rate. I think that's like all of our show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Cornell 77 is what it's known colloquially. It is the album recorded live by the Grateful Dead at Cornell in, on May 1977. It was a bonding experience for us. The connections, the friends that I made. I was young and we were out just enjoying the music, enjoying our lives. People together and dancing. That whole group, pretty much all of them are still friends. We had this band that represented all of that and gave us the ride of our lives. Right away getting out of the car and the energy in the parking lot and the energy of all these people and the excitement, and it was like I knew, I could feel it like, oh wow, I'm, I'm in for some kind of a ride here, but I didn't know exactly what it would be like. I think there's always incredibly great excitement. I mean, trying to get tickets, uh, logistics and everything, you know, where you're going to get your um, substances, you know, I mean, there's a lot of things to, to work out. Uh, well, it was a smaller place. It was a recreational hall, so it was a lot better than a lot of places that we went to see them, as in Madison Square Garden or the Philly Spectrum. Much better to be going to a smaller place. It's only holding maybe 7,000 people. It was a, a magic time for them musically. They were doing some great stuff. They were exploring. They went off to Egypt. They were, they were having fun. The fact that they hadn't played in a while and, and they were, they were re-energized. And you could see the energy in the whole band. Jerry especially, was he, was he was joyous. They talked to the audience, which is, they didn't always do that. You know, Phil Lesher yelled out, hi, Mom, after Mama tried, and, you know, telling people to take a step back, take another step back. Everyone, people up front are getting horribly smashed. They were fresh. The music was fresh. They were happy to be playing together. That permeates through the, through the crowd. We play off of each other. It, it will always be, you know, really special memory to me. I think they were just on fire that night. I think they just had the magic. There were some nights when they were just on. Just the, the camaraderie that was going on between the audience and the band. Everyone's mind was blown. 
That's part of the mystique of the Cornell show is the quality of that tape. And every time I hear it over and over again, I, I could relive where I was, where I was standing. And the music was great. They were playing great live shows through the, through the 70s. And I think uh, it was just a magic time to be there and for it to happen. In some ways, it's more than the Grateful Dead. We found a way, like the people who were attracted through the music were looking for a different kind of experience. Those experiences, they stick with you for a lifetime because it was so meaningful. You know, these were, these were meaningful experiences. At the time, we were looking for something special and we stuck with it, you know, throughout decades. was actually saved by the Library of Congress, deemed as an important recording, audio recording. Uh, so quite literally, if they had to save one recording, it was this. Exactly, exactly. Living here in D.C., I do want to go to the Library of Congress and try to check that out. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm in the process of applying for a Library of Congress, Library of Congress. <laughs> I'm actually very serious. <laughs> this sounds like this sounds like how National Tre Treasure Three starts. Next the Declaration of Independence and Cornell seven. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and when it comes to U.S. like like history, I mean, you think of those two really side by side. Exactly. Billy is going to go Nick Cage style heading in there. Just going like, I'm going to have sex with a speech from Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think that like, obviously when we, John and I are only, we call it very uh, fringe fans of the dead, knowing the hits and whatnot, and obviously knowing if they're cultural importance. Um, but when we heard Cornell 77, we thought, oh, okay, this is probably just another live dead album, which as you said, at its face value, it is. However, after doing research and especially uh, talking to our brother, Andrew, we started to see uh, the significance of Cornell 77. Yeah, so I would say definitely our brother is the, Andrew's the resident deadhead of, of, of the household. And I, I sent him a text when I found out we were doing this. I'm like, Cornell 5877 thoughts, question mark. And he just starts off with, oh, well, where to begin? Like, I mean, for this deadhead from... You go online, apparently you go to the forums wherever you guys all congregate. <laughs> this is your holy grail. This is this is in many aspects what some people would consider the peak of the Grateful Dead. Well that's an interesting comment that you say having a peak of the Grateful Dead. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's this band is so damn interesting when you get to talking to people who've been following them for, you know. Like, look at me, I've probably been a serious deadhead since, like, I don't know, I, I'll give it five years now. Like, the music's really been, like, a part of, like, my life that I've taken kind of, not, I don't want to say seriously, but, like, seriously kind of dove in and looked at different phases. And uh, it's so, it's such a perspective game. You'll talk to people who, like, uh, you go to these dead and company shows, which is a whole other tangent we can get into but you go to these dead and company shows where people are like yeah i saw them in 75 or they, they're on a break in 75 say 72 when they came with, uh, tour, tour, tour europe and they said yeah i saw them in copenhagen in 72 but they weren't my favorite dead my favorite dead is like early 90s dead where they're a lot funkier uh, and, and it's just so crazy and the, the spectrum of the sound of the band that has changed and how that 
people saying like I am a eighties early eighties dead fan, like it, it's crazy because they sound completely different if you look at what they were playing in the nineties and like there was kind of or late eighties, it was really kind of more funkier with Brett Midland on the keyboards. But then you look at their like late sixties, early seventies recordings, it was like it, they would play like a thirty minute song where like in the middle of it they would just like make like terrifying scary noises. <laughs> like with their instruments and it like kind of like I don't like listening to that, but it's just crazy. The, the span and of taste and personality the music has and how that plays into other people's tastes. So that's something to always be thinking about with the dead. And so in seventy seven is kind of known as like peak seventies dead. And that the sound that they put out in Cornell seventy seven really uh, catches that that era for them. Which is interesting because like you said, like this obviously is a single concert, so it's quite literally catching them at a single moment in time. And I think you brought up two interesting points, which is a lot of people talk about when they talk about Cornell 77. It's the sound and the style of music that they're playing. So like you said, mid-70s, this is very much disco-inspired dead. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, I'd say it's more though, instead of disco, I'd say this is when they're really kind of hitting their their stride for the 70s um, because it's kind of interesting like looking what that decade spanned for the dead uh, starting in going in like doing their first European tour in 72 and that was the first tour outside the US and um, that's when they had Pigpen on the keyboards uh, Ron I don't know his full name but his name was Pigpen Ron Pigpen McKernan that's exactly it. Mm-hmm. And he passed shortly thereafter. Um, and so then when they moved forward, they had a uh, break because everything was getting kind of heavy for them. And so that around 74, 75, they took like a break and each member went their ways and, um, you know, experimented with their own uh, music. Jerry Garcia bands a lot of touring, Bob Weir and uh, Bobby and the Midnights. <laughs> um, yeah, Bobby and the Midnights was involved at that time. So, I mean, like, they all had their own, like, break, and they came back kind of more refreshed, revitalized, and that's really kind of what I feel is that you can feel in this Dead album is, you know, they're back, and in 77, this was like they're ramping up their East Coast tour, uh, and it's this new revitalized death that, like, you know, it's cool, you know? It's different than you've heard in 72. Yeah. Um, it, it, they have different influences pulling at them now, and now with Keith Gottschuk and computer, uh, not computers, and keyboards, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's different, and it's really kind of right in the middle of this tour where they were really hitting their stride and playing really, really well. So I think that's pretty interesting to think of where that kind of inspiration comes from. Yeah, and then like from all accounts, from from what I've seen of people that were there, and if you listen to it, a lot of people, they talk about the freshness that they have in the sound and that they talk about how they seem, like you said, it was, it was sort of like a revival of the dead at this point. And I think this is highlighted by the song uh, it's the second to last song on the on the album, which is Morning Dew. 
And Morning Dew was not a song that it's, I mean, it's a, it's a classic. It's a favorite by Deadheads and it's not one that they usually pull out or they don't do it all the time at their concerts. But when they do, literally people are known to remember their concerts like, oh yeah, they did a do at my concert. Like that, that is something that people talk about. That really hasn't changed much, I'll tell you. When I went and saw Dead and Company, like seeing them play do, I mean, wherever you are, is an experience. <laughs> like, you don't forget something like that. You can hear people say, I remember I was where I was standing when two started, and I remember looking at my friend. And that 77 do, I'm pouring out, in my opinion, it you are you're completely right it is gorgeous too bill are you building an ikea desk <laughs> over there because the the sound is the sound it sounds like you might be uh, using a jackhammer over there in dc No, it's okay. It's just, you know, podcast trying to gain circulation, enter the mainstream. We just, we love it when our guests take this as seriously as we do. Yeah. Exactly. You know what? <laughs> no, I'm just trying to give people a real look into what my life is. <laughs> Even I, a star, a glamorous star, unload groceries. What, what, are we, what are we working with in those groceries? Give us like, a, give us five. Give us five items in the groceries. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, a red, I assume. Yes, a uh, hearty caps ass. <laughs> caps. Um, and uh, what else we got? We got some rosemary. Um, coffee. Need coffee. Last <laughs> item. I'll, what, what's interesting that I got? Ooh, I got a hazy IPA that I'm excited to try. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, when we're quarantined, you got to make the most of your trips to the grocery store. Agreed. Can we get a shout out for the brewery of this hazy IPA? Uh, yeah, it's DC Brow. Spelled DC B R A U. Ah, DC Brow. We are still looking for sponsors in the pod, so you'd send us from. Thank DC Brow for just making a delicious product, mm-hmm. and uh, we want to be in touch soon, right? Yes. And then, what type of coffee did you get? Okay. Colombian roast, I'm coming for you. Coffee, big coffee, you are dead to me. We don't Ab- need your money. Avid listeners, the pod will know that we shill for no bean company. Yes, this is a we're we're very much anti-coffee here. So, in fact, we might have to go back and censor out your naming of the brand just to show our loyalty mm-hmm. or disloyalty, I guess, to coffee. To all forms of caffeine, really. Yes. The Vasco. Okay. I mean, I, I am not included in this. <laughs> Um, talking about caffeine and the energy that it can bring to artificially to your day talking about the energy that that had 
yes, the energy is something that definitely runs through very, very whole in this album. But the other thing that's incredible that a lot of people talk about is the sonic quality and why it is, you know, so revered. And, you know, Bill, do you want to go into a little bit of kind of the mythos uh, behind recordings at dead shows, whether those are taped or bootlegged or whatnot? Yeah, so that is a community all of its own. Um, Dead kind of are well known for having um, these recording artists, or not really recording artists, these recorded artists who record on a set, if people still know what those are, um, that you would basically come into the concert with your gear and you would find a good spot, usually somewhere at the back, because um, that's where all the sound waves echo off the walls the most. And they'd set up their own recording equipment to record the show. And what's funny is originally the record companies were very much against that. Um, you know, because you're basically making free bootleg tapes and they like said like, Hey, Grateful Dead, can you like enforce this in your fans? And they're like, No. <laughs> That's awesome that they're recording our shows on their own until later. And what's really cool is that you know, we're lucky enough to have like Cornell 77 like, shows uh, recorded by them uh, in these like other big album releases that like Spotify lets out. You know what I'm talking about. The ones that you can readily find on Spotify Live. I was here at 72 is catalog Spotify and all that. But if you really want to find Grateful Dead shows, that's where you find the cassettes that these fans recorded off and You'll, there are shows that you'll like never find on a CD, and they're super, like, some are super rare. And yeah, I mean, you can order like a whole collection of them uh, for like, I don't know, probably like a hundred bucks for like 10 solid shows on cassette. And that's really great. Like, finding those like hand produced, that's, that's really cool. I want to get on that grind, but I don't have any track to let her. <laughs> Nor do you have money, but that's besides the point. Facts. <laughs> uh, which is like another, like, I mean, we always talk about kind of like, I don't think there's a band in like rock history that has as much, I guess, like this kind of lore, if you want to call it folklore, that surrounds it like the dead. And I don't think another band will come along that has it just because of like the time when they broke in, the attitude they had, like the way they had such a cult following and stuff like that. And like Jerry Garcia and the other members of the band have gone on record several times as saying like, we didn't make the Grateful Dead. It was the crowd that made the Grateful Dead. And I think that's like so important to like understanding kind of a collective experience. It's something that takes, you know, a moment like a concert from, I guess, just a physical kind of experience to, I guess, that next level that crosses. It's what, you know, we use the word transcendent. That's what makes something transcendent is that kind of like whole mythos folklore surrounding community environment. You know, it's like, it's akin to, it's akin to going to church. And I think you won't find that. Like, I think you'll find that comparison sometimes amongst deadhead is that.
happy to be there and so excited for what's going to happen that night that they just will like, I mean, it's all good vibes and uh, there's just no other way of describing it. And it can only be experienced like when you're there, but everyone, and it's going to sound so weird, goes on their own little journey in the shows. And that's probably like why you see so many people that like to do substances at these shows. Like there's no hidden history of the Grateful Dead that, you know, people do a lot of acid to the Grateful Dead. And there's a reason for that. It's these shows, the jams, they, it's a journey that they take you on. And I've never done that. I don't do that kind of thing. But even I... It's on the pod. It's on record. You know, it's on record. I'm not an acid. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the journey that you take, shared with all the people there, creates an environment that is just so See what I find what I find crazy about this because when I first I mean being being our generation we're not really that known for being deadheads I mean their band grew to prominence through 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, whatever. But you just you go down through their songs and what from what me always bewilders me is you have these like you have these core deadheads that like know the lyrics all these songs. These are not short songs. These are I you have a three song stretch in and. From five or from Cornell seventy seven that totals over forty one minutes and it's it's ridiculous to me that you have all these fans and it's 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 very crazy and very cool that you have all these fans that are able to go and sing along to these songs and still and be a part of this and enjoy it because I think from an outside looking in this is something that I would I would I would I, I think I would struggle with but apparently everybody enjoys it while they're there and I think of it like as like a lot of the things that you described right there sound as like intimidating, um, which is funny because that's the exact opposite, I guess, of the atmosphere that you would describe there, Bill, right? Yeah, and what's cool is like people like are just so genuinely excited to be there and that you're there. Like when I went to my first show, I sat next to a guy who literally like traveled with the dead all across, like followed them across the country in the 80s, like for like six years in a van. That's what he did. What it was a lot less. He sold t-shirts and a lot to pay for his tickets and gas and meals and everything. And he, like when he asked me, like, like, is this your first show? I'm like, yeah, this is my first first show. And he's like, he just had a big cheeky grin. He's just like, I'm so happy you're here to see this. And like, he was genuinely happy for me that I was taking steps to just see a band that he liked. And it's so crazy that kind of, like, you don't need to know the songs or, like, know everything about them. But if you just, it, the guy was like, do you, like, listen to them? I'm like, oh, yeah, I know them pretty well. But he, my buddy didn't, and he was just like, yeah, you don't need to know. Just have fun, listen to the music, like, dance, like, do whatever feels good to you. At this it was kind of weird. Kind of weird. <laughs> Just do whatever feels right, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he drinks beer. 
up, he's all good. The whole section started going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I was so excited just to see that. Like, it's just unbelievable the, the kind of energy you find in these places. And it's really, I have not seen it replicated anywhere else. And literally, when you, like, talk to someone you don't know there, they'll say goodbye to you. I just enjoy the show. Like, or I hope you have a great show. And that kind of nails down that journey part of like it's it's an experience, not just you go there to watch music. And I think that, like I said, like I, like I was hitting that, and you totally like described there is that it's such a rare thing, uh, obsession of a fan group without pretension, and that's like what it seems like, especially the experience at a dead concert is that like obviously like these people enjoy and people who are deadheads and love going to the concerts, they love like studying up and knowing everything. Like part of enjoying something is knowing everything about it and like knowing the obsessiveness about it and like knowing track for track, beat for beat and knowing these things. Um, But when you have that sort of like inside knowledge and stuff like that, that quote unquote inside baseball knowledge, it's very easy to fall to like that fall into a certain amount of pretension where you're just like, Oh, no one understands them. Or it's like, you know, it becomes its own like pissing contest where it's just like, Oh, I've seen them X amount of times. I saw them when they've done X, Y, and Z set, they started with this song and stuff like that. Uh, But it sounds like that pretension is kind of absent from the crowd. Absolutely. No one's there. Everyone's there to have a good time. No one's there to, walk us through a little bit of uh, your timeline in terms of uh, getting into the dead like how do you think you kind of got into them like I know you went into this a little bit but like can you maybe go into a little more depth about your fandom with the dead
because I really was not listening to anything live. I was listening to all their like studio recordings because that's what I thought like that was should be the best stuff. Obviously, yeah. And I kind of got along. I started, you know, little by little listening to them a little more, a little more. And by uh, must have been like summer between eighth grade and freshman year, my mom saw that I had a Grateful Dead dancing bear on the back as the background of my computer. <laughs> and she was like, What's that? <laughs> I think that's a Grateful Dead dancing bear. She's like, you like the Grateful Dead? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I do. She's like, do, do you smoke pot? <laughs> and my parents were legitimately like thinking I was on the path to be doing like ass pot, get mixed up in drugs because I listened to the Grateful Dead. Like, they were deadly serious about that. <laughs> and it never did. <laughs> it made me want that want to listen to them like that much more so I kind of started looking more and more into them and you know that was really kind of kind of it um, their music kind of supplied something that I needed at that time of my life I would say um, and it still does provide something to me um, as a guitar player myself being able to hear those licks and solos of Jerry Garcia and just realizing like a the talent and like knowing how that talent like manifests itself um, combined with you know just good music it's good like rock and roll music fun to listen to like some makes you dance some makes you cry and that's what like good music should and no, I was just going to say, I, I, I do like how, you know, most people in the rebellious stage, they go to like Blink-182 or something like that, or like Paramore, <laughs> Paramore, Jimmy Eats World or something like that. But I do like how you really switched it on its head and, and went went the other way and went, <laughs> went to the Grateful Dead. Yeah, I mean, because, I mean, if you think about it, like in my life growing up, that's what everything, I think my parents didn't want me to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i mean it's very obvious even though like john said it is kind of feel like a bit of like regression which way to rebel for it does feel like i mean this is kind of like an important coming of age i guess band you get into glad that that's kind of like the effect it had on you and i think it's funny that like it was an opposing force that kind of led you there, which, yeah, I love that kind of like story idea. We've all done that with certain types of likes and like some people do that in terms of sports teams. Some people do that in terms of music. It, it, it's awesome to hear that story. Um, the other thing that's interesting about like, you know, bringing it back to Cornell 77 specifically is the sound quality. And I think like me listening to it, like, you know, with trying to listen to it intently, it's interesting how, and I don't know if you guys got the same effect, but how it sounds like you can hear the band, but it's got a much more muted crowd sound than I've heard of like a lot of different live recordings. Like, would you say that's kind of true, John? Yeah. Well, from what I've heard from, from our resident expert of, of, of 
the dead of deadology. Deadology from I mean from seventy three to seventy four, they had a weirdly quiet sound because the band was using like a special kind of microphone. Okay, and it's to give off a really clear sound. And so here is the shorter like after they take their break in seventy five, which they only go on four shows. Afterwards, they switch it back. They change up the sound, and I think that's what really like helped come come into their place, and especially with Cornell seventy seven. And I think just with the album in general, like I, I know they have Bob Weir, who is the is he? He's the guitarist and the guitarist, also yes. part vocalist. Slash, vocal. slash vocalist, yes. And like he talks about how like he doesn't even really remember spe- the specifics of this concert. He was just like, oh, so 77 during our tour or whatever, when we were touring, like all the shows were like that. Like they were all like that. I think that's pretty crazy to think that's just like. He's just saying, oh, yes, imagine just for like that month, couple months or whatever straight, just like every show was like was was Cornell 77, because that just shows how much in stride like that band was at the time. Well, and I've also heard things about how people like obviously this is very well known recording, uh, well distributed. And the distribution is what I've you know come to see as like one of the reasons why it's so popular. But a lot of other like that heads will say like uh, their show the next day at Buffalo five nine seventy seven was even better. Um, but like also just talk like the shows like around it. Just I think that's interesting kind of thing that we have to remember is that this is so popular mainly because it just was distributed so widely. Um, but that you can think of this entire 77 groove as just being uh, a run of hitting shows, shows that just hit. Yeah, and I think I just think it's cool, like, especially nowadays, like, what's, like, the most recent live album that, like, you think has had a, a decent amount of cultural impact? The only one that really comes to my mind is Nirvana, MTV, like unplugged, the, unplugged. Yeah. that that is, I, I think that was 97 i may be wrong it was I mean, earlier than that i think it was 94 95 94 95 my bad but not it's but like that outside of that i don't i think it's just pretty crazy because you see all how the the recordings of live shows at dead have like like billy i think was, was sort of talking about earlier i don't want to get his words mixed up but like you just, you listen to the live albums and they honestly have as much, if not more of an impact than just their studio albums. Which, which is just absolutely that, that I think that's the one thing that took the longest for me to kind of sink in. It's just like, cause I'm also someone who in general, like, and I think this is for the majority of the music listening population. We think studio recordings are when everything is hitting, every studio recording should sonically be perfect. So like that, that's where you're an artist is going to put out their best stuff. Uh, so I think it was kind of weird to kind of have that mindset, like, no, that's not the point of the band, which again, I think kind of points to how they transcend music in that way and that they're transcending the traditional industry. Like Bill, you can obviously speak to that. Yeah. Like it's crazy. Cause I, like you was kind of on that same mindset when I was first trying to get into them. I didn't realize it's the live stuff. That's really, that's, that's the good stuff. That's the people are talking. Oh, that's about. the good stuff. And I mean, I know that through my experiences running through those albums of, you know, like the um, Europe 72 tours, the shows from Hate Asbury in the 60s, and then like comparing them to like the 80s shows, um, it really just shows the different types of dead that comes through and the different like styles 
they really incorporate to their music and that's all a reflection of what was happening to them personally at the time um but the diverse range that it has and how that appeals to other people that's really cool and that's one of the parts that these cassettes and recordings like you said their show the next day in buffalo was apparently really really badass and awesome but like that's not out there it's probably out there somewhere on a cassette tape from someone who recorded it and if you got a hold of that and listen to it it's probably right up there with cornell 77 but that's what kind of makes these tapes cool is these shows that are probably kick-ass but just because it's not widely produced people don't really know about them and that spans the whole breadth of their music from the 60s right up to 95 when jerry died so i think that's something always cool that like keeps me coming back to the well for like more dead music Agreed. Uh, speaking of them, like going through changes, Bill, is this your favorite dead? No, this is not my favorite dead. Coincidentally, mm-hmm. um, you know, the seventies dead is really, really great, and like I do really appreciate it. I, and I do like it. I mean, hell, it's great music. My favorite dead is absolutely like late eighties dead where they got Brett Midland on the keys <laughs> and Brett Bones Midland, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. Yeah. Let's, let's call him what he, what he is. Um, <laughs> but he just really, I don't know. There's something with the funk style that they do it. Um, like if you listen to, uh, 89, at, uh, I think it was RFK <laughs> stadium. Mm-hmm. Now, that is a funky dead show. And that's like, <laughs> I mean, the way they play like Shakedown Street and Oof, yeah. feel, like, feel Like a Stranger, um, blown away. It's, oh man, it's hot. It's that, that's good, good stuff. <laughs> that's that, the good, good? One, one could say. The whole, um, a good way to kind of get a, whole view of what that kind of dead is like um, is I would recommend the album Grateful Dead Without a Net uh, and that's a collection of their live recordings uh, from all years but it really is kind of a collection of recordings like the all these songs are 20 minutes long <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's, the, it's their really like best jams and like in that album, I know they have Eyes of the World, where they had um, John Coltrane play with them. Oof. And that's like a more kind of like jazzy, and that was like early 80s dead, I'm pretty sure, that Eyes of the World. And with like uh, John Coltrane playing with them, uh, like he takes a big kind of role with his playing. Uh but it, like on saxophone, but like it's still dead. Like you can understand it's still a dead song. And that's the way I look at it. Because if you look at uh, like the different styles that they have, they'll bring in different people, but you can still tell it's a Grateful Dead song just by like the structure. And so I don't know, that opens up a whole nother can of worms that we can get into. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think that's interesting. Obviously the addition of John Coltrane and talking about adding a jazzy element, because I think of, and this is me as kind of a novice deadhead, dead fan, uh, dead listener is like I think of their style and especially the way they concert 
they play in concert as very jazz influence in terms of the style in the way they stick to beats and they stick to structures but there's so much room for going off script in the middle of their concerts and they talk about how they always play by the seat of their pants and stuff like that and i think that's such an interesting collaboration just from my standpoint thinking of the style of a dead concert mm-hmm. and like having those different actors come in and out of the lineup mm-hmm. like that's what makes it cool to me is like oh yeah i know this dog eyes of the world but hearing eyes of the world with john coltrane on it i mean that's that's new it's like that it's like the, it's like the meme of the like the brain guy where it's got like different levels of your mind getting blown exactly. and stuff like that exactly. and then it's like eyes of the mountain eyes of the mountain late 80s eyes of the mountain late 80s with john coltrane i know like it's so crazy but i mean and and it's funny because like my brother always asks me like what what do you, what do you, what are you seeing that i'm not seeing because my brother i mean he doesn't hate that but he's does he's not into it as much as i am and i guess it's just like you know you you know a grateful dead song and but you find different versions of it like you could find one that maybe like jerry garcia band played um where he's like playing it with like merle saunders and that's really awesome because merle's is hammering those keyboards and it sounds something very cool and very different than it would like you know if you just picked it right off of Working Man's Dead. Um, so, yeah, that's another cool part about really diving into the live aspects of the dead. Yeah, uh, that whole, like like you said, the, the whole, I've talked about, like, the mythos of the dead, and it's, like, so many contributing things. One of the things, like you said, the variation with both lineups and sounds and stuff like that, it just adds, like, it feels like there is kind of a perfect confluence of all these factors that lead to uh, this kind of, mythos uh john first run through like listening to the album on our you know on our research for the podcast this week um i talked i talked about this in the last episode but like if you had to use one word to describe this particular album what would it be um i don't ask the easy questions on the pod here this is well i can come back Uh, to you know what yep colorful Colorful, colorful. Was like the elaborate on it or let sleeping dogs lie. I mean, I just, I just think the sound of this album is very cool. Cause I mean, I think it's, I I just think it's so cool the way that it's recorded from like, cause you have them like talking about, you have the guys talking about their, like, oh, it's like this guy must have had a really good spot. Like he must have been like at a really good spot in the show, so (laughs) to be, be able to get this recording. Yeah, and I just think it catches. I mean. You just see how how lively you can hear how lively the band is and how they're rejuvenated and how they really are. I mean, they're colorful. They're out there. And the energy has to deal with color. Uh, yeah, in exactly. Terms of like that, I I totally understand. As well mean. as as my top is probably my top song, or at least one of the top songs I have off this is "Brown Eyed Woman," which is a uh, brown is a color. I mean, so that helps. Wow. You know, someone write that down. Some color. tying everything. That's, that's in. amazing. Yeah, the uh, that track in this show. It's, it's one it's, of the best women that uh, I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> can you say that again, Bill? Well, uh, yeah. that was one of the best women's. I mean, you gotta know. Yeah, that's like you don't you, just like how we call it. Do <laughs> brown yeah. woman is woman. Yeah, it's a woman. <laughs> All right, it, cool. it is regarded as one of the best, if not the best, recording of woman that they have. 
It's 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 up there. It's 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 great. And all and even just looking at the co- just looking at the cover that they made for it, it's just like wow, that's cool. Like, oh yeah, the color <laughs> like, cover. Very Agreed. colorful. You know, everything just about this album just speaks to the color and to like the rejuvenation, honestly, of the dead. All right, Bill, I'm gonna hit you with a seven hundred mile pigskin toss of a question to you. One word, this album, name it. I would probably say alive. Mm. Ooh. Also, also talking about the energy, go on. Kind of just like how you can see, like this. I'm pretty sure this album is like one of the few like published recordings of the Dead in this tour, and like you just you can tell like they're back basically, and like you can tell they're having a lot of fun playing this music that night. Like you hear on Mama Tried, like when it ends, Bob Bob Weir just gets in the mic. Thanks, mom. <laughs> Says that to the crowd, and like people laugh, and like they are like engaging with the crowd. You know, they make everyone take a step back because the people at the front are just getting absolutely hammered. Yeah, was that, and, as like, that before Scarlet Begonias, I think. Beginning of Scarlet Begonias. Yeah. Yeah, we're gonna play everyone's favorite game. When you, you I raise my hands, everyone take a step back. <laughs> another. Step back. Welcome to the five-year-old program. Yeah, I was about to say, this is, they'll be doing red light, green light after Fire on the Mountain. Yeah, exactly. And so you can tell they're having fun. They're just driving out there, just doing their thing. So, I mean, Alive is, and you can tell it's a new dead. I mean, they're here. They're ready to put on a good show, you know? They're, they just want to put on a good show for the people. All right, well, now we answered it. Your turn. Oh, geez, guys, I was really wasn't expecting this question that I asked. Um, no, uh, I think for me, and this is this is based on a lot of research, but also listening to it. Uh, I think like the sound, the song, the word that I would pick uh, is ubiquitous. Oh, um, wow. Okay, just show up <laughs> like Billy and I. I'm like, it sounds like you read the dictionary. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let me go buy a thesaurus. Okay. Can I can I explain? Go ahead, ubiquitous. <laughs> so I think of it in like two senses. One, obviously talking about like the coverage in terms of like this is like a very like I think this is one ubiquitous in terms of this like a classic dead sound. I think that if you like this, like you said, Bill, there's so many variations, but like this, like if you play this album, it is prototypical dead in the best ways. Um, I think it'd be ubiquitous, like I say, in the spread of the tape, because it was such wide distribution, it became part of the cultural consciousness in a sense. Um, and I think ubiquitous in the way that it's very, in an approachable way, in that this isn't too like experimental of an album. It's something that I feel like, and that's been like written by publications and stuff. It, one of the reasons why it's the great dead album is because it's very easy for new people to listen to and to get into, even if you're not familiar with that many. Like if you're not familiar with, I guess, the, the, the archetype of a dead concert or of the Grateful Dead, this is a great album to go to to learn. Exactly. You're exactly right in that. Yeah, this album is like, like I said, like if you're a dead fan of the show, it's like, basic album that they would say yes this is the great set this would be the album this would be the one that they would show the first one to show someone who's not really to the breadth of knowledge of the dead so i think that's a good point too fox 
And I think that like, and one of the things that, uh, one of the things about the, uh, the dead being, you know, their emphasis on having good sound at the shows, uh, especially talking about their wall of sound, uh, set up, which is very, very intensive in terms of actually like setting up, producing and just bringing from concert to concert and stuff like that. And I think it does like pay dividends in this sense, especially because, um, I think that the, the ideal like dead sound is all this all of the sonic elements of the instruments coming and you know playing in concert especially because so much of the dead concert is instrument driven um and i think like my favorite part of this album is hearing phil lesh i think phil lesh's bass comes through so incredibly well uh in like like i say i call this kind of like disco dead because there are definitely some disco inspired kind of beats to the album and i think that phil lesh bass in a lot of kind of moments is uh, phenomenal and i just love it uh, what do you think is like one of your favorite aspects of like the sound coming through this album whether it's the instruments whether it's like i don't know like talk about that if you will so I think that the one thing that this album has to me that like I can think of in my head at any time is there are signature licks that Jerry plays in this album that I know are in each song. And I like when I re-listen to the album, like I know that this lick is coming and it's a really great one. This little thing he throws in here on like Jack Straw. Like when he goes into his solo for Jack Straw, um, that really goes in on it. Like I know that solo in my head by heart and it's so good and so clean and it just fits right where it's supposed to be. And like, there, it's just like that on, like there's certain songs that I know like this is coming and it's so good to like hear. But one thing I think that's also interesting about this album is it's not all great, you know, like I don't think that, St. Uh, Stephen on this album is a very good St. Stephen compared to other things I've heard like at 69 at Winterland St. Stephen where they have like it's like the first time they like did the audible like scream at the break of their like uh, uh, right before the uh, chorus and that leads it into the chorus and that was awesome being able to hear that the one on this album it's almost too tame for my taste it's a little like, you know it's, it's, it's too not, P, it's the pg st Stephen. yeah and it's just like i really wish that they did a better st Stephen. but i mean it's still pretty good you know it's just not my cup of tea compared to like fire on the mountain on this album now that is a great mountain you know it, that's a it's it's pretty unbelievable so it, it, this album has some great stuff and uh not not great stuff so it's not all great and that's not any that's only the band to if you want to put fault on them they just played a version that you know yeah isn't no. up to my standards but might be up to someone else's yeah and i think that's the important thing understanding the imperfect elements of it and that they're like this like without this myth of like a perfect or i guess this fallacy of a perfect dead show well there isn't any because there's just so many beats and it's like i think like the amount of improvisation and just kind of stuff that goes into it means that it's not always going to jive with you or with a specific person, but it's accepting those faults and still finding like the greater good in the shows and thinking, wow, what a special show. And one thing I think that's cool about it is that I'm still finding things in this album that really get me oh. going. Oh. You know, like I was listening to it the other week, um, 
walking in the Capitol where I work, and just I'm, humble just, I'm just a bill <laughs> on Capitol <laughs> Hill. curveballs at you but this is a first time on the podcast yeah. where we are having a previous podcast guest uh call in john you want to take it from here yeah i got you so i mean in our house you know will and i like we said we're we're, we're casual dad fans you know nothing nothing crazy but we had to come in and bring in our older brother from all the way back in virginia lexington virginia lexington virginia andrew fox andrew how are you doing what up Yeah, and you're like the meme of the guy who isn't talking loud enough. Andrew, it's an audio, uh, it's an audio medium. Okay, can you hear me now? Yep, yeah, yeah, we're perfect. perfect. I mean, obviously, uh, we I, I, I mentioned you earlier because I when I first found out we were doing, it, I tested you. I mean, first off, I mean, we just want to bring you in and just ask first general thoughts or will will you want to? I was going to say, uh, introduce yourself, to Billy. Andrew, hey, hey Billy, this is Andrew. Hi, Andrew. This is Billy. <laughs> <laughs> we are we are breaking down media's right now with two phones in the room talking to each other. This is this is wild. But wild. I mean, but I mean, Andrew. I mean, first off, you're you. I think you would consider yourself a deadhead. I mean, which first thing that comes to mind when you hear Cornell seventy seven? Uh the most well, first thought, most famous dead show. Most, uh, yeah, most famous dead show. And uh, they were on a run at this point, I'd say. I mean, yes, that's what we hear. I mean, that's yeah. what, from what we talked about it, all about it. I mean, that's, that's, that's a consensus pick. And then uh, one question we've, we've asked everybody is, what's one word for you to describe this album? Ooh, um, tight. Tight. Yeah, explain. <laughs> They're on. Nothing is very excessive. There aren't as many. And I think I enjoy some of their spacey stuff. But this whole performance, they are very economical with the kind of musical structure that they're using. Uh, it seems like at every point, either it's Keith Gachow or Jerry or Phil, or the drummers, or I guess Bob, I've, I've named the entire band, are doing something to kind of drive the songs that they're doing. I, I was just listening to what Billy said, him realizing there were, like, how much he loved the solo on Row Jimmy, and 
like one thing I'm really getting into when I'm listening to this album is Keith Gotchow's playing and he kind of tapers off by the end of like 79 I think is his last year performing with the band and they actually kick him out uh, because he was getting too addicted to heroin which is an accomplishment if you're with the dead <laughs> heroin to be kicked out but uh, they drew the line yeah you you know we, we we enjoy a little heroin you know a decent amount exactly but you but you you <laughs> but but I remember like even a super short song like uh, mama try there are just moments where like in between verses he does some little stuff with the piano like little piano bits that are just like perfect are these really fun little notes that he's hitting yeah um, so i'm kind of going on my own little reassessment and re-exploration of this the other one that really stands out for me is uh loser mm-hmm. which is yeah. the second which is the second song they play and for me that solo a couple weeks ago hit me like a ton of bricks. It was a song I yeah. kind of passed over, and I just realized how amazing and kind of and unique sounding it was for a Jerry solo. And what's cool about that loser solo is, like I kind of explained earlier before you got on the line of like there are little snippets of like licks that you know I forever associate with that song at this venue because that's like. They're so iconic, and the first notes walking into Jerry's solo, I'm sure you know exactly what I'm talking about, Yeah, are just so stapled in my brain for this song that, like, I will listen to the whole song just to hear those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, well, I think that's... It's so crazy that, like, I think that, like... One, I love this deadception we have here going on <laughs> of Andrew talking to Bill. Love it. Um, but I just think it's crazy that, like, you that so this album is so beloved that people have like individual second moments on like so many songs that they point to that just means like like you said the ability one to have such a like a hyper kind of focused love of these like individual parts of the songs and two also the ability just to rediscover stuff also like it does help that the album's two hours long <laughs> like it like it, that that leaves room for you to remember forget rediscover discover for the first time and i think that's something like that's a little bit kind of like something that's magical i was gonna say when when you got an 11 minute song it's kind of easy to you know be like oh i forgot about oh, this I forgot five about minute this. section of this song you know <laughs> it, it helps it it helps you remember but yeah it's it's obviously very cool it's pretty crazy i mean two and a half hour long long album that's 20 songs pretty wild pretty wild to think of anything that could or you don't really think any artist today could really do that, really come out with something like that and to be so yeah. successful. Who, who, who are you thinking could do that? I don't know. You know, Dead and Company. <laughs> Dead and Company. Well, I think the thing maybe, is that... Maybe maybe, maybe further. Uh, so another offshoot dead. of Dead. Dead and Acquaintances. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So guys, you know that Dead and Company is going to last forever. Yeah. What, it's just going to be John Mayer and then John Mayer. It's going to be like the Dread Pirate Roberts. No, no, no. They're, they're going to last forever because Bobby said that one time he was playing, I think they were playing Riviera Maya in 2016, which is a great show if you want to check out that recording of the Dead, um, Dead and Company. Bobby said, yeah, he was on stage and he just had a vision all of a sudden while he's on stage of he's like looking at the stage from above 
uh, like Bird's Eye View, and John Mayer's up there doing his thing, but he's an old man. <laughs> and Mickey and Billy and John and O'Teal are all gone, and it's just filled in with some new guys who are still holding it down, keeping it rock steady just as they would have, and Mayer's there as an old man. So it just shows that there's going to be people that will fill these roles, and Dead and Company will never die. Yeah, the the idea of an old John Mayer playing there with presumably the sons and daughters of of of, of the members of the band Fish um, taking on the legacy, I think that would that would uh, be incredible. I think it's uh, time for the podcast to go through our favorite stretches of the album. Um, I got the I got the privilege of going first uh, on our last <laughs> episode, which kind of stole John's thunder in the Superbad episode. Uh, so, John, I'll let you go first, and I'll go last. So, what's your favorite stretch of the album? Um, favorite stretch of the album. I mean, I hate, I mean, it's, I hate to be basic, but I think I got to steal the do. I got to steal do. I think, I mean, wow. I, I know, I know. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I don't even like doing it cause it's not, cause originally, I mean, uh, morning do is not written by the dead. It's, it's a Bonnie Dobson song. She, she wrote it a while back. I mean, but I just, I, I, my big thing against Dead is the, the length of some of their songs, but for some reason, Morning Dew, even though it's about 15 minutes long, like I, I it's, it's the it's the one super long song I can listen through it multiple times, just keep on playing it, and I, I I really enjoy that track. I think it, I think One More Saturday Night as an encore to it, honestly, does not do it justice. I think I. Think, oh. Yeah, you guys can as, as the resident dad heads, this is this is an uncultured opinion on it. So you two can have your way with that take. <laughs> but I mean, uh, but I just think I just think the way that Morning Dew ends right there, it's I think I, I really do think it's one probably the best and from what all that I've heard, because I watched a little mini doc on the concert from people that were there, like Morning Dew appears to like that's just like the the life changing experience happened during Morning Dew. I mean, that's true. I'm not going to lie to you guys. I, I'm a straight shooter. <laughs> I could not listen to that Morning Dew for about a, like a month in senior senior year of college uh, without crying. <laughs> <laughs> that Morning Dew really got me on some sort of next level that like I really, I'm, I'm honest, like I, I could not listen to that all the way through without oh. like getting a little emotional. So... It's a powerful one. Yeah, it's, it's one of the best best dudes on record. Yeah, in a word, it's grandiose and it's yeah. beautiful. I agree. I mean, there again, like with most of our picks on 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 the show, there's no wrong answer here. But that's a great answer, uh, Bill. I'm going to kick it to you. Favorite stretch of the album, and this could be all time. This could be what's jiving with you now. Um. So I really like. Uh, the uh, Lazy Lightning to Supplication to Brown Eyed Woman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I never, like, I found Lazy Lightning, honestly, because my buddy sent me it, and he said, listen, Bob says, messing with my raisin. And one the lyric is messing with my reason, but <laughs> it sounds like he says, why are you messing with my raisin? <laughs> <laughs> I always listen to it. I was just like, oh, I want to hear him say messing with my race. So I like start listening to that. And I really fell in love with this version of lazy lightning. And, um, just to go on to supplication from that, 
really, I mean, that's just a cool jam. And then one of the best brown eyed women that the, that the are like is out there. Um, and yeah, I was really hooked on the brown eyed woman one for a while. And like, uh, probably I'd say like junior year of college, I was really bumping that one, but then listening to all the way through, um, it could be really cool, but I'm not a huge mama tried fan, mm-hmm. but, um, that road Jimmy right after it. it I mean, I, I'll listen to mama tried just to hear that road Jimmy next. <laughs> just, just, just must white knuckle it through. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. All right. Andrew. I like when, uh, Bob tells the audience to take another step back. There <laughs> we go. Yeah, we, we talked about that. We talked yeah. about it on the pod. I, I honestly, I wish, like, in some, like, Christopher Guest style, like, parody of this, I'd imagine, like, right after they rip, because it's like right after they rip through Fire on the Mountain and, like, they finish it up. I just wish, like, Bob came back and they'd be like, again, I'd like you all to take a step back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Um, yeah. I mean, I'd say Billy kind of took mine. I'm not even a big fan of Lazy Lightning, but I love that supplication into Brown Eyed Woman. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll go. I'll go with. I like how I like that John enjoyed Morning Dew. I like that whole final bit where they go from those final. I don't know if you can like it's. I guess it's three. I'd call it three songs. Where it's Saint Stephen, not fade away, Saint Stephen, into Morning Dew, into One More Saturday Night. I really like that because that's those first two songs, Saint Stephen, not fade away, Morning Dew. That's like that's like '69, uh, '70s, dead, and I think that's a really fun. They're so, I think they're so comfortable playing those songs, and that's got that. Uh, that whole part of the album has some, or that whole part of the concert has some great movement to it. Yeah, agreed. And I think that like uh, a lot of people will say like, I mean, a lot of people after, uh, besides Morning Dew and besides a lot of the points we already hit on, a lot of people will talk about the Scarlet Begonias into Fire on the Mountain, the Scarlet Fire kind of here as being particularly just like you said, Andrew tight. Like it's just a great rendition, not too. there's no, the economy of sound and not too much wasted movement on any party. Um, and I think that's like a great hit and for it to like roll into disc three into like the third kind of act of this and for it to, you know, hit all the marks there all the way up to morning Dew, uh, I think it is also like phenomenal. Okay. I also like one of the things that, really i really enjoy about this album compared and i really love the i really have loved getting into the dead's work in 73 and 74 but uh some of those wall of like one of the byproducts of the kind of wall of sound style uh recording they were doing wall of sound style microphones they were using is there's like the voices sound kind of isolated and it's not as apparent, especially from like the releases that the dead officially have used. It's not as apparent that they're singing to a live crowd. And I really like this album because Jerry and Bob's vocals like have that kind of echo. It sounds like they're singing in a concert hall. 
I, I, I totally agree with you. And I think, like, I made the point early on the pod that it's interesting how I feel like the crowd noise seems a little quieter than other live albums I've ever heard. Uh, and I think that that, like, leaves the room, like you said, for that true, um, however you want, that true kind of acoustics, like, listening of Bob and Jerry in terms of it sounds like a real concert. It doesn't sound overproduced. It sounds real. Yeah. Uh, and so I guess... Again, rounding rounding the track, getting to my favorite uh, stretch of the album. Um, I was originally thinking of going with Dancing in the Street, the whole Dancing with the Street um, uh, long, whatever you want to call it, episode. Uh, just because, one, Dancing in the Street, fun song, covered by a lot of people. I didn't know The Dead did a cover of it. Um, and I think the kind of funk they instill in this kind of cover, uh, especially, like I said, what I appreciate about this album is Lesh's work on the album. And I think Lesh really comes through very well in uh, Dancing in the Street. Uh, so I was tempted to say this, but then after giving it another listening, I really enjoyed Jack Straw and Deal. Um, oh, yes. I think that, like, I think one of my, I think one of the things about this kind of dead um, recording is it's a lot of mid-tempo, slower tempo dead recordings, and Jack Straw has just enough of an up-tempo kind of mindset for me that I just really like it. Like talking about especially Scarlet Fire, I think those are two really kind of like slow, stripped down, slower kind of versions of the songs. What? No. Okay, gotcha. Uh, I think stripped down and slower kind of versions of the songs. And Jack Straw, I just love that up tempo working into Deal. And I think that's like, I don't know, that that on a second listen, that I think is my favorite kind of stretch of the album. Uh, and I like Billy, you're, you're, are you playing the guitar there, Bill, or was that Andrew? Might be me. <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> is it you, Andrew? No, it wasn't me. Oh, okay, it's, gotcha. It's Bill. It's Bill. That, that's what I figured, but either... No, I'll wait, Bill. Playing uh, Will Jack Strong for you guys. <laughs> no, no, like, I'll wait. Well, Will, I mean, if we're not going to get a patented, you know, acapella from Will this movie time in this podcast, we might as well get a little little guitar. Probably for, for all, all our benefit, we're not going to well, this is one of the hallmarks of the podcast. Um, uh, this is my acapella renditions. Uh, I didn't give you a little fire, fire on the mountain. <laughs> um, yeah, but I think obviously, like, there are so many. Like, there again, there's no wrong answer here, uh, especially like when we talked about Bill, like the dead meaning different things to different people in terms of different sounds they like in them. So I think they're especially in Andrew again, like you said such a tight album there's no wrong answer here and i think we all did some perfectly right answers good work everybody exactly four-way high five mm-hmm. clap yeah <laughs> um i guess the last thing they got to go over the pod is you know at the end of these podcasts i like to be forward thinking john is that true yes that's, yeah i like to be you, forward you enjoy that you enjoy i do that. enjoy that there's a lot i enjoy on the pod but this no back back do it again we're, we're going forward exactly no steely dan no steely dan um except we are bookended by Steely Dan. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's a shame that most of his songs have to do with, you know, reeling in the years. And exactly. Going back. back. You know, but, I mean, <laughs> or dirty work. Um, yes. I digress. Uh, I think it's interesting to kind of think of. I just want to kind of like, Bill, you said, obviously, there's nothing like a dead show, even if it's that, like Dead & Co., the ones you've been to, nothing like it with the atmosphere. Um, what do you think? Like, is the, I guess, what do you think is the future of touring and like concert music tours and like, 
I think that it's interesting to think of the dead as someone who like they are the only people that ever played this way, but also to kind of like look forward and think, okay, like spiritual successors of the dead. I mean, obviously I think we're kind of seeing a bit of resurgence in jam bands um, making their way, uh, you know, around, at least in the U S bill would, do you think you would, could agree with that? Yeah, I say. Yeah, like uh, I personally have seen, saw Lettuce in concert, another kind of definitely inspired by the dead, but jam band a little bit more yeah. on the jazzy side. But uh, I was just wondering if anyone has any takes kind of on like the spiritual, um, uh, spiritual successors to the dead and like what you see in live music as kind of getting back to that spirit. I think that there's going to be someone in place for anyone that's looking for it. I don't think it's going to be a universally ubiquitous thing to the degree that the dead was for so many people and still is for people. But I think that if you go out there and find something that gives you that kind of opportunity of like a dead show has, you're probably going to find it. I know that, for example, I went and saw the Marcus King band mm-hmm. in Chicago um, with my brother. Gotcha. And that's not really like the dead's music, but it's also like kind of like a jam band jazz. They're they're their own thing. But I could see like a lot of parallels from like dead shows of like people that as there wasn't as many of them. Um, there are people there that like this was their Grateful Dead. This was their experience uh, for like a release. So it's out there. I think you just need to look, and you'll find it. Um, for anybody and everyone's different there are people who as jerry said the grateful dead's like licorice not everyone likes us but the people who like us really like us (laughs) (laughs) well 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 yeah yeah that's, that's what i think well put um i was thinking back obviously listening to this album i saw the uh i went to uh new orleans a couple of a month ago um, and I saw the house band at Tipitina's Galactic, which is like a popular jam band down there. Uh, and they play at this bar, uh, club, music club, Tipitina's, like probably a couple shows a month, like a true house band. And uh, just seeing, I think, like we talked about and like you talked about, especially on this record, the dead having so much fun. I saw that band have so much fun up there. And that's, I think that's like one of the key takeaways of this album. Uh, is just the the amount of joy and like the refreshing energy and stuff like that. And I think that's something that I look for in live music. And I think that's something that is so easily can be applied to, you know, to any genre, any space, any live music. Um, but that doesn't make it particularly easy, you know, that, that just because it is the ability for it to be applied to any sort of live music doesn't mean it's easy to come by and stuff like that. It's simple, but it's not easy, I should say. Uh, and I just saw, when I saw Galactic, I, I saw a ton of that kind of fun energy. And that's, I think, something that, like, that's why I enjoy listening to this album in particular, is just because it's that kind of toe-tapping fun energy that you can feel even though you are listening on Spotify. So uh, I think that's what kind of excites me most. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, I don't say bad stuff on the pod. I really think the uh, Blue Man Group has done a great job. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you tell. Oh, go on. <laughs> I'll stop there. <laughs> uh, I, I'm, like, and why? 
Like, who, how can I answer that? <laughs> uh, like the Dave Matthews, man. That's American all I got to say. It's just something you have to go to to understand. <laughs> the, the Blue Man Group. <laughs> uh, Bill, another first on the podcast. I think we have a fifth contributor uh, trying to get on this action. This has quickly this gotten this, this menage has quickly gotten busted open. I mean, this really just shows the impact that the dead has, you know. Exactly. I mean, I mean we got as many people so many people just want the to The only limit is the amount of time we want this podcast to go. Yeah, exactly. So uh, anyways, Bill, go on. So yeah, this comes from uh, my buddy Bob, who for those who don't know Bob Weir. Bob, no, it's a close second. Uh, this is this is the man who fell down the 400 level stairs at Wrigley Field. Um, you know, and he he's a really knowledgeable deadhead. And like when I first met him, he was very much more knowledgeable and into it than I was. And I think I've kind of grown from the stuff. He he's the one who noticed messing with my raisin, and so. <laughs> He he has some points that he sent me. Uh, three main points. Uh, one, new Minglewood Blues. What a way to start! It was the peak of the seventies. College kids uh, with the college kids there. What a way to come out with an attitude. That that uh, that the opening of that sentence, uh, Bill, sounded like you were doing some sort of ABC eyewitness like <laughs> expose. It was the seventies. College kids everywhere. <laughs> I mean, but he makes a fair point. New Minglewood Blues would not be the first song I would ever think to play at a dead show. But they they opened it and, you know, coming out, I was born in the desert. <laughs> coming out with that, that's pretty good. Ow! As many as uh, many of those Cornell students, you know, were, were born, born in the, the desert. desert. <laughs> exactly, raised the lines then. Yeah. All right, point number two. Uh, to come out so rocking and move through a set to an El Paso that's so smooth, crisp, and delicate tonality. Uh, and then don't get me started with Jack Straw to deal uh, to the lightning of the lazy sort. So I'm sure you guys covered that. So we did cover that. Um, <laughs> but we did touch on El Paso. And he makes a really good point of coming out so rocking. Delicate is the only way to describe that El Paso, I believe. Yeah, I, I I agree. Again, this is uh, El Paso, a dead tune that I'm not like as uh, familiar with, or it was uh, that it's a cover. It's cover. A cover. My bases are covered. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, no. no, but it's just like a tune I I'm not that familiar with. But I, I agree that like the way they is El Paso the triplet is that the, that the one they do in three time. Yeah, do, 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 yeah, exactly. I agree. I agree. I think delicate's a good way. I think delicate is a good way to put it, uh, especially like a different. I mean, I would call it like slightly different tonal shift, but in a perfect way in that first act. Agreed. Okay. Hey, uh, I think that's a Billy. Would you agree that like in the broader Deadhead community, it's often like Vanita and this concert are the ones that are often invoked the most. The what concert in this one? Uh, Vanita, the sunshine, yeah, the sunshine it, it, daydream, like yeah. Yeah, in or Vanita, Oregon, seventy two or seventy three. Seventy two. Seventy two. Uh, yeah. That one also has an ama- I was just thinking that one also has an amazing El Paso out of a dark star. Really? Yeah. It's oh yeah, like, dude, I know exactly what you're talking about. Dang. I mean, I've never been a huge fan of El Paso. Never liked the song a whole lot, but 
to be uh, the tonal shifts from being able to come out rocking to play it as light as they do is impressive. Mm-hmm. Um, so then we'll go on to his third and final point. Um, what a better way to, uh, to end a show in May at college than Bobby screaming about getting fucked up on a Saturday night. <laughs> Bill barely breathing at this time point. Uh, barely breathing at this point has probably peaked on his acid trip about seven times over a three-hour set. I mean, you really have to appreciate that. <laughs> wow, wow, yeah, you do. I, I agree. Like John, you, I, th- I think you're. I think calling like one more Saturday night a bit of like a letdown in terms of from the morning do. I think is like that's just like kind of staying the obvious just because of how epic it was. But yeah. it is still that doesn't make it a bad ending to the show. No, it's not a bad ending. I just think that. I, Morning Dew, I think, is like the emotional ending to this. To Agreed. This, to this. And then, I mean, it's an encore, and it does what an encore is supposed to do. It's like, it's just like, oh, everything's going on. And then we're, and then we're back with one more Saturday night. So I, I, mm-hmm. I understand it, and I, I appreciate it for what it is, but I just, I think Morning Dew is just, especially here, is just, you just really can't compete with it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I disagree with you. I think ending it with one, one more Saturday night is an awesome way to end it. If you're there and you're a college kid, you got college kid priorities, that's a great way to walk out of a dead show. You're going to straight to the, the hot streets of Ithaca, New York. <laughs> yeah. Hitting up I the mean, bar yeah, in Ithaca. Go party and go have a Saturday night. Go talk to a cute girl. Like, it's going to be... Like a party, and that that that's a way that I would like to be left with a show. I don't want it to end on a do kind of emotional Ooh. note where I'm leaving and I'm thinking about my life. I want to be like, wow, that was awesome. I, I rocked the house. One Let's point, I, one point I want to say: this was a Sunday night, and so I think Morning Dew, oh, a Sunday night, oh, definitely comes to play a little bit more. Because who's? I mean, maybe maybe I'm wrong about these Cornell students, but uh, but I think Ithaca, <laughs> New York, is pretty pretty closed down on, on a on a Someone Sunday say night. Sleepy. You know, you know, on, a, on, a, on a Sunday night, yeah. Or wait, oh no. gosh, this deep dive. I bet it was exam period too. <laughs> <laughs> That's right at the end of finals. People are just trying to study. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's like it's you fair. don't know how to party. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Sounds like you're okay. dark. I party so much harder than you ever would. <laughs> in, 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 in the words of Wade the from Simi Valley. I burned, like, I mean... Uh, of course. I mean, okay, well, acting like you enjoy <laughs> the real bros. I do love the real bros, but that's for episode 101 on the pod. That's fair. Um, okay, uh, Bill, final words on the album. If you haven't done it, do yourself a favor. Just take a listen. Exactly. <laughs> Just D-E-W it. <laughs> Just do it. Do the do. Uh, do the do. Uh, Andrew, final words as as a special special guest, special guest guest. Oh my god, tight and bouncy. Tight and bouncy. Yeah, that's a good way to describe it. Yeah. Um, I last things I want to talk about is just. Bill, you talked about the '90s funk. I thought there was just enough funk in this show for my liking. Thank you very much. I mean, I could use the touch of gray. A little touch of gray. Every silver lining's got a... Touch of Grey hadn't been released yet. Yeah, I know. I know. I know, I know. Touch of Grey was 87. It was a part of... Uh, Idiot. I know I know when it's released. It was released in 87 with... Uh, I'm trying to think of their album. Uh, but I'm just saying... I was just saying as a little wordplay. Because he's talking about the funk late, late 80s, you know. 
Yeah. It's probably, I mean, being the not such a big dad, dad, I mean, enthusiast as, as our two guests are here today. Obviously. I mean, Touch of Grey, I feel like, is one of their songs that, you know, most people have heard, if, if they've heard dead songs. Mm-hmm. I came out off In the Dark. Okay. That was the name. Yeah. yeah. 87. Yeah, 87. Like I said, it came out in 87. It was the, it, I believe it was, I may not have been a single off that album. I don't really even know if they do singles in the dead. I, I would just like, I'd, I'd like to say one la- or one thing is like, I haven't really listened to a lot of like 78 and 79 dead. So for me, this is one of the last shows where I hear Keith Gotchow playing before he gets replaced with uh, Brent, before he leaves and Brent Midland takes over uh, the duty of being like the keyboardist. Um, that it's like, a, it is a, an amazing send off to uh, like a reminder of all the great contributions that uh, uh, Keith and Donna both gave, provided the band. True. I think that's a well said. Donna got chow as well. Yeah, I agree. They said Keith and Donna. Well, yeah, but Don, well, he just said Donna. So I just wanted to... Donna got chow, exactly. Yeah. That'd be really awkward if they cut Donna. Yeah, so, so I'm uh, going to stay. <laughs> um, yeah. Fitting send-up, fitting send-up, and a fitting send-up for our two guests, Andrew and uh, Bill. Thanks so much for uh, being on the pod. Thanks for helping us, like, two dead novices dive in deeper and uh, appreciate what is, you know, that, you know, what we can say is, you know, usually thought of as the best dead live recording. Well, it was a pleasure joining yeah, I mean, I mean, you just take a look, and you can't find many better bands that encompass rock, folk, country, jazz, bluegrass, blues, gospel, and psychedelic rock like the like like the Dead Dukes. So, you know, you got to give them some 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 you know some, some props. Some props, you know. Uh, agreed. <laughs> agreed. Andrew, thanks so much for joining. Phil, thanks so much, guys. Uh, this is awesome. Going down, going down, like I said, into the dead hole on Into the Fox Hole. Uh, I'm Will for John, Andrew, and Bill signing off. Are you reeling in the years? Stowing away the time. Are you gathering up the tears? Have you had enough of mine? Are you reeling in the years? Stowing away the time Are you gathering up the tears? Have you had enough of mine?